Okay, so I'm just going to pretend you're brand new, all right? So welcome to Ecclesia. That's how you say it, all right? I know for a lot of you, that was the first big moment is I don't even know how to say the name of that church, okay? Uh, I didn't name the church, so I'd just like to say that as well. Uh, when, when actually, when uh, the, the, the pastor that started the church, Wes, he called me up and, uh, and my wife and I, and he was like, hey, I want you, you know, when we were thinking about coming and, and being a part of this, and, and my wife's like, how do you say that? And, and it was funny because we both said different things in response, like in how we said it. Uh, and surprise, surprise, uh, for those of you that are like, what does that mean? It's church, okay? Very, very uh, mind-blowing, okay? Um, so I'm going to pretend you're new. All right, we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah, uh, an incredible book in the Old Testament, and it's about this cupbearer to the king of Persia, Okay, uh, the cupbearer was uh, an individual who had incredible privilege, right? It was a, it was a good job to be able to get. You, uh, you had the trust of the king. Uh, you were privileged to conversations with the king that, that other people weren't privileged to. Uh, you had the best food, the best drinks, uh, all of that. And, and so we see Nehemiah is in this position, but, but he's a Jew, uh, this isn't his home, right? Persia's not where he really belongs. He knows where he ultimately belongs. It's in Jerusalem. But 140 years earlier, Jerusalem had just been destroyed, uh, just toppled by um, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. And, 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 and so ever since then, people have been exiled out of Jerusalem. Some have been allowed to return. But there's people scattered, scattered all throughout the known world, and he's one of them. And he's in Persia, and, and a report comes back as to the condition of the city of Jerusalem. And he hears that. And this, I mean, this is, this is his people. This is God's people, right? The Jews, they've been, they've been set aside by God to, to glorify him, to be an example, to be a light uh, to all the different people groups at uh, the time. And so when we, when we talk about rebuilding this wall, it's, it's much bigger than a wall. It's about the glory of God being displayed. Okay, and, and, and so Nehemiah hears the state of the walls at Jerusalem, and it just breaks his heart. He, he, he literally breaks down, just, just weeping uh, at the news that, that the walls are in shambles and the city is in disarray. And, and so uh, based upon those new, that news, we see him go into this time period of just praying and fasting and just weeping before God and, and just asking, what, what will you have of me? And we see throughout this time, it is four months that as he continues to go to the Lord, he starts putting together this plan birthed out of a vision that God gave him, a burden that God gave him, that you're going to be the one to go back there and you're going to lead this. And we see that he asked the king for permission to go. And we see the king give him incredible favor. And not only that, pay for everything, give him the letters he needs to go through the different areas and the different regions in order to be safe. And, and we see uh, that as Nehemiah comes into Jerusalem for the first time and he, and he sees it and he's approaching it, it's gotta be this emotional moment, right? It's like the vision that he's had, the burden he's had, and there it is. And he goes in and then he inspects the walls. He, he gets an idea of what's at stake and he inspires the people. And he says, let's go, let's do this. And so we looked in, in chapter two uh, as, as Nehemiah has just challenged them to this task, to this vision, and they agree to do it. 
And before we, we kick off chapter three, what, what's so important for us to see is when God asks us to step out in faith for a vision, for a burden that he places on our hearts and our lives, it's much bigger than just you, okay? It, it's never just about you, right? So when he places a vision, a burden like that, on your life. It's also for people around you because one of the things that, that God does is, um, is he allows other people to hear, to, to, to listen, uh, to see the vision you have. And through that, he actually inspires them to one of either two things. Either they join in to the vision uh, that you have or through God's work in your life, uh, they're inspired to pursue the vision God has for them. And so he uses that. Now, now, why are we inspired to do that? Because you guys, if you're a Jesus follower, you are always looking to be a part of the things that God's working in, aren't you? Right, like our radar's up. Like, like we're, we're like, where is God working? And when God's working in something, we're like, it is clear, it is evident that there's something special happening there and I wanna be a part of it. And not only do I wanna be a part of it, but what? I'm willing to sacrifice to be a part of it. Okay, and, and, and what we see is, is these people, they actually sacrifice, take great risk uh, to become a part of uh, the vision, to, be, to, to help build these walls. They were, a lot of them, they lived outside of the city walls, and so they're abandoning their, their families for some of them for this season. They're putting the rest of their jobs on hold. Um, and, and, and so huge sacrifice for the people to say, we wanna do this. But what we also see is part of, what Nehemiah, part of what made Nehemiah's message so powerful was the sacrifice he had first modeled to them. See, remember, he had a great job, fantastic job, okay? Everything was like, like cush in his life. And he literally decides to give all of that up to take an enormous risk, to travel hundreds of miles, to go and, and lead this project, when at the time, he doesn't even know if they're gonna respond to him, right? Like, like he gets there and, and he could say, this is what God has called me to do, I'm here, who's with me? And it could have been just like chirps, right? Nothing. And, and so there was huge sacrifice on his part. And, and, and so they, they literally, they, man, they were inspired by that. And so we see them take up this cause with him and they start to rebuild the walls. And we know that not everybody was in favor of this, right? We, uh, some of the local governors, Sam Bullitt, uh, one of them he, in Samaria, he was one that was already mocking them uh, and against the work that God wanted to do there. So we get to Nehemiah chapter three. Now, if you've read Nehemiah chapter three, you go, Steve, what in the world are you gonna do with Nehemiah chapter three? I mean, it's a bunch of names and names of gates. Like, what kind of sermon are you gonna concoct from that, right? Um, well, I'm not. <laughs> there you go. Uh, what I wanna give you is a, a overview of chapter three, and then we're gonna really dive into chapter four. Okay, so chapter three, here's, here's what happens. The people get to work and, and, and chapter three is all about the response uh, to the vision that Nehemiah has casted, right? So, uh, so literally we see in chapter three, it's organized around the rebuilding of these gates and the spaces in between the gates, the, the, the walls, right? And so uh, it mentions those individuals. And like I said, there's a laundry list of names there. Some you'll be able to pronounce, some you won't. 
okay? Um, and, and, and so, but you should read those. And if you're like, I can't read them, listen to it. The Bible app's amazing, all right? And, and so we have a list of names of those that were in charge of rebuilding these gates uh, and the people involved with the walls. And what's so um, uh, incredible about it is you see people from all different walks of life coming together for this huge vision. Uh, we see, and it kicks off in chapter three, talking about the priests. The priests are part of this. They're rebuilding uh, the gates, the walls. We see uh, men, women. We, we see professional craftsmen. Uh, and then just random people uh, from outside of the city who come in to be a part of this. There's literally a place for everyone and a job for everyone. Now, what we also see throughout chapter three, though, is the same things you and I experience at our work. We see some people decided not to work. We always love those coworkers, don't we? Um, they love to claim the work. We see that some of the individuals do more of the work. And then some of them work harder, right? Some work harder than others. And then, and then it lists, it goes down the list of the specific gates uh, that they worked on. And I'm gonna have them pull up the slide that, that, that kind of walks through the gates uh, for you, okay? Really uh, exciting names. We have the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, valley gate to, to the dung gate, the dung gate to the fountain gate, the horse gate to the inspection of the gate to the sheep gate, okay? Let's pray. <laughs> There's your servant, all right? You're like, I'm never going back to that church. All right. Um, and so what you see though, and if you'll pull up the map for me, what you see is by how it goes down the gates, you see him work in a counterclockwise way uh, through chapter three to where they're literally building and uh, the walls. And they're building these uh, strategic gates that needed to be built. And there's chapter three. All right, chapter four. Let's read verses one through three says this. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down the stone wall. Okay, so uh, we see this, this little group of, of local leaders and the surrounding region. They, once again, are not uh, happy with what's happening. And in particular, this guy named Sambolet, who uh, is the leader of Samaria, probably the governor there, he and his friends, as the work has begun, they start to mock the Jews. Now, as they mock and criticize the Jews that are doing this project, it's important to note that they don't do this privately, right? They do it publicly in front of everybody, including the army of Samaria. Okay, and so, so they're ridiculing them. They're, they're mocking them in front of all of these people. And what they're saying here is, is literally, how could these feeble Jews hope to rebuild this wall and make it strong enough to actually protect it from an army? Like, what do they, who do they think they are? And, and, and he literally says, will they, will they sacrifice? Like, and, and what he's implying there by, by mocking the sacrifice part is, is he's saying it's gonna take more than prayer and worship to bring these walls up. 
And then he says, well, they finish in a day. And what he's mocking is that they have no idea about the scope or the size of this actual project. They'll never be able to uh, finish. And then lastly, he ridicules the materials they're using, right? Uh, he, he says, listen, these stones are out of these rubbish heaps, these piles that have been burnt. Uh, like, like what? They're, they're, they're going to build walls out of these damaged goods? Like, like no way. And then his buddy Tobiah is there and he says, with, with the size of the wall right now, it wouldn't take an army. It would just take a fox to jump on it and it would crumble. Now, as we think about criticism, criticism's goal is always discouragement for you. Now, why is that? It's because it, the enemy believes that if you get to the place of discouragement, the next step is you're gonna quit. Right? And, 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 and so that's what the criticism that they're doing, that's what it's designed to do. They're, they're, they're doing this publicly uh, in hopes that, that the workers at Jerusalem will hear about it, and they're hoping that this criticism will lead them to discouragement to where they'll just abandon the project, that they'll realize uh, that, that this is just, this is not possible. Look, what are you doing, right? You're, you're a laughingstock, a laughingstock, and so just quit doing it. And so then we see Nehemiah's response in verse four. This is what he says. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Did you see his response there? Some of you are like, I loved it. I've felt that so many times in my life and I've just wanted to say it and I didn't know you could say that to God. Well, there you go. Welcome to the Old Testament, okay? And, and so Nehemiah just cries out immediately to God and, and I don't want us to forget his immediate res response here because this is so important for us today. He moves right from criticism into prayer. So, so he immediately, so, so he is being criticized, right? He's being criticized uh, and, and, and all of this. And, and, and then we, we see like it's reached the workers. The workers are talking about it. It's affecting them. And Nehemiah is just ticked off and he doesn't take time to just, you know, like, like go crazy about it. He immediately takes it to the Lord. Immediately. That's why he's so mad. Right? He hasn't like cooled off. He's like, oh, I'll just get myself calm, cool, collected. Okay, fold the hands, get on my knees, and God, almighty God. You know, like, no, he is raw. He's real before God. He's like, wipe them out. I pray that you do that while they're enslaved. Some, like, I mean, he's, he is just going at it, right? Like, he's, he's like, God, these people, uh, I can't take this anymore. And what he's doing is he immediately took all of his thoughts, his feelings, and emotions, and he brought them to the only one who could do anything about it. And then he went back to work. See, see, here's what we see here. By responding in, in this way to the criticism, Nehemiah avoided a common mistake so many of us make when we deal with criticism. And you will deal with criticism. Like if you're younger in this room, you will deal with criticism. But a common mistake that, that we make that, that he avoided is he didn't allow 
his enemies or the criticism to become the focus of his attention. Okay, see, our, our natural response to criticism when you're criticized is to what? You want to defend yourself, right? You want to defend yourself. Specifically, you want to defend yourself to those people who are saying these things uh, against you, uh, right? So, so you want to respond uh, to them. Um, and, and the other thing that happens that we normally do with criticism is not only are we caught up in how do we defend our honor and, and, and attack them back, but we also allow it to what? consume our minds, right? Consume our minds, our hearts to where we put our head on our pillow. It's all we can think about. Uh, we're driving in our car alone. It's all we can think about. And, and, and so this, this defending myself, my honor and that, I become consumed by that thought, this reality that, that, that I'm under attack. And it hurts even more when it's what? When it's your vision under attack. And so, and so I, I think for, for most of us, if not all of us, when we deal with criticism, especially when it comes to something that's, that's really important to us, we're tempted to go back and forth with these critics or those that are passing along the criticism, right? And, and consequently, here's what happens. We waste time, energy, thought, emotions, trying to answer questions for people who aren't really interested in answers, like, have you ever even, like, considered that or realized that? I, I, I had this, I, and I'm just as guilty of this. I had this moment with, with, with these people, and we're having this interaction, and, 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 and I go into this, like, defend myself, right? And so I defend myself, and, and at the end of defending myself, I am really proud of myself. Have you ever been there? Where, where, where you just go, Oh, they did not see that coming. I am so right, and they are clearly wrong, and they know it. And you know what they said to me? I'll never forget this. They said, you're right. We don't care. And I was like, like I didn't even know what to do with that. I go, huh? Like, you're right, but we don't really care. We're still going to do this. And I just went, and what I realized there and what that has, how I've carried that in my life is to realize that criticism typically, non-constructive, is, is usually being thrown at you from people who don't care about the truth. And, and so you just need to know that. But, but the problem is without realizing it, what happens for us? our focus begins to shift, right? And our focus begins to shift. Instead of being vision-centered, we become critic-centered. And, and, and what I love about Nehemiah here is Nehemiah was able to remain vision-centered in spite of the criticism. And you guys, criticism is so tough because criticism hits our emotions, doesn't it? right? It hits our emotions. It's not just like this intellectual disagreement. Criticism is you're attacking me, and I feel it in a very deep way, and we're most emotional about what we're most passionate about, right? Like, if anyone challenges your spouse, your family, your kids, your kids, your, your kids, how's your response? It's different, isn't it? Isn't it different? Why? Because you're so passionate about them. 
right? If you've got a, a vision, a burden that you are passionate about and someone attacks that, attacks you and your motives and your heart for it, man, you feel that and it hurts and it's a deep emotion. But the reality is, what are you gonna do with that emotion, right? The emotion has to go somewhere. So I either get caught up in how do I literally reflect back my emotions onto these people or do I make the choice of I'm just gonna hold it inside because that really works well for your mental health, right? I'm just gonna hold on to it and it's gonna go away. Um, or third, we're just like, I am just gonna unleash on all of these people that have nothing to do with the situation, right? Hey, we were a friend at one point. I need to get this off my chest, right? And we just dump, right? And, and it could be a friend, it could be a spouse, it could be all kinds of people, right? And, and they're just innocent bystanders and you just, but man, you're all over it, right? And so, and so what do we do with these emotions that we have? That, that's a very real thing, a very real thing that Nehemiah had to go with as well. The only healthy and profitable thing we can do with those emotions is to pour them out to God. And, and once again, I'm not saying that, that you get it all wrapped up nice and neatly with, and put a bow on that prayer. I'm saying you immediately have to go to God with all of that emotion, with all of that hurt, with all of that pain, as someone has just hit on some insecurities that you have and, and you don't know what to do with it. Guys, you, you're not equipped to, to deal with it, right? Like if you look at Nehemiah's qualifications, he's ill-equipped to handle all of these local governors against him, isn't he? And so we have to pour our hearts out to God. And he is, he's honored when we take our deepest frustrations and our hurts to him. Do you know that? He's honored by that. And, and, and I look and I go, man, this is all throughout scripture. This is modeled for us, right? In, in, in Psalm 5, 9 and 10, I, David's always the best at this. And, and, and it says, for there is, this is what he spews out to God. He says, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. You ever said that to someone? No, don't. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, oh God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. This is David like praying to God, right? My prayers are a little different, I feel like. But here's what prayer does. Prayer puts criticism in its proper context. And the criticism, as a result of that, it loses its power. See, because what happens is prayer enables you to evaluate criticism from God's perspective. Now, when you see something from God's perspective, what does that do? It, it, it puts you in the right perspective to be able to uh, respond appropriately to the critics that you're going to have. See, and, and I know this just gets worse and worse, but here, here it is. What's going to be really, really challenging about this for some of you is when the criticism is valid. When the criticism about you is actually true. That is when you really feel it. 
is when people are, are, are leveling these accusations, these things against you, or, or they're just pointing out flaws. They're pointing out failures in your past that point to why you can't accomplish or do this. They're, they're pointing out all the shortcomings, all the mistakes that you have made. And what hurts more than any of the other, uh, at least for me, criticisms is when you, you, you listen to it, you hear it, and you go, yeah, they're right. They're right. Like, like I look at the criticism that Nehemiah, is, the, the, the Jews here are taking from the sand bullet guy and, and these other governors, and I look at it and I go, yeah, you know what? Yeah, they're kind of right. Like, this is not this incredible construction crew that pulls up. Like, this is a, this is a struggle of a group. They're not skilled builders. Uh, they're not the most committed people. Clearly, it's been over 100 years. The walls still aren't built. Okay, and, 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 and they're gonna walk off the job at some point that we'll read, but, but and, and there's certain section that, yeah, they're, they're so, they're such, um, it's in such a mess, it's in such disarray that, yeah, they, they can't even like fix certain things. So I, I look at this criticism and I go, man, like, like this is tough because he's receiving things that to be honest, they're true. They're true. But here's the thing, they weren't factoring when they're leveling these criticisms against them and the criticisms that are gonna be leveled against you, this is what the people, they don't see. They don't take God into consideration. And guys, for some of you, chances are you're gonna experience some criticism and it's gonna be valid and it's gonna be true and you're gonna sit there and go, man, I have no defense for that because to be honest, it is the truth. But will you, like Nehemiah, still follow through with what you know to do? Will you do what you can do and trust God to do what only he can do? And for Nehemiah, what did it mean? I'm going back to work. And so he goes back to work with the people. And then we see verse seven, it says, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans and with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, uh, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. You know, we read a lot there. But man, this, this is big. So, so the ongoing work, it only makes the enemy even more upset. And so now they link arms uh, with the local governing authorities that surround Jerusalem. We've got the West, we've got the East, we've got the South, we've got the North, all covered with these armies. And we're all going to, in their minds, surprise attack Jerusalem from all sides. And what does Nehemiah immediately do once again? Man, he goes to the Lord. 
As soon as he hears about this, he immediately goes to the Lord and then he positions the guards in different spots, right? Notice this, and this is a common theme. He tweaks the plan. He's willing to adapt and change the plan, but not the vision. So soon, this word spreads into Jerusalem that all their neighbors are preparing for war against them. And, and, and here's, here's what's so tough about this too. Uh, it's not just they're hearing the rumors now, but this is also coming from their own countrymen. Their own people now are coming in and, and, and they're saying, you, you got to stop. Stop rebuilding the walls. Everybody is circling around us. They're, they're going to attack us. They're going to take us out because you guys are building the walls. Stop. And some of these are family members who are back at their houses and they're reporting into the city. They're coming in and they're like, you got to come home. You got to protect us. We're all isolated out there. Come back. You have to stop this. This isn't going to go well. And so these builders, they're experiencing this tension. And not only now are they afraid, are they discouraged, uh, but, but to make matters worse, the obstacles to rebuilding the wall are starting to look insurmountable. Like the rubbish uh, is more rubbish than they thought. And, and, and they're tired. They're tired of building. Uh, the thrill of the new project had worn off. It was more than they could handle and their families were at risk. And this combination of fear and discouragement pushes them over to the edge and they stop working. And I think we can all identify that with that, can't we? There's probably been a moment in your life where you just said, this is just too much. This is too much. Like, like that was tough. That was tougher. This is just, this is enough. It's enough. So we see the, the group of people he's leading. They're all, they're all in this place. And then Nehemiah responds again. He, he identifies even more vulnerable locations and he places armed guards there. And then he does something really strategic. He groups the defenders uh, of these areas with their own families. Uh, in, in other words, what he's doing is he's making sure that those are, who are defending are surrounded by the people they care the most about who are worth defending. So he strategically places them, and we know from how they built and constructed the walls, uh, many of the people, as they were building the walls, they were doing that next to the place they lived. So they're already passionate about protecting this area, uh, about protecting what's right there and behind them. And so he places these people uh, strategically uh, there. And, and one of the things that, that is so important for us, you know, I talked about how God may call us to change the plan in order to still fulfill the vision. We have to be willing to do that. Okay, like, like two things typically happen uh, when, when it comes to uh, fulfilling, right, like, like a vision. And, and, and one of the things that, 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 that can happen uh, when we are trying to fulfill this, this, this vision uh, that God has given us is one, we say, this is the plan and, and I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna move it off from this plan, right? This is, this is it. And so I'm not going to deviate it off from the plan. And, 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 and so we just hold this, this plan and, 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 and God may shift the plan 